Welcome to American Players Theater Talkbacks to Go. I'm Buzz Kemper, and I invite you to take a walk up the hill with Orange Schroeder and me as Orange talks with actors Kelsey Brennan and Gavin Lawrence about APT's 2019 production of Twelfth Night or What You Will by William Shakespeare. We're talking about this season's production of Twelfth Night by William Shakespeare, and I am lucky to have with me Viola and Duke Orsino. And uh, I wanted to start by talking about the title of the play because we know it as Twelfth Night, but it actually has a, a subtitle of What You Will. And the Twelfth Night aspect is um, because it was, it was done after Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas. And uh, is, it, is it lighthearted? Is it holiday entertainment? Not our production. I, well, our production is very, <laughs> very funny and sexy and adventurous and fun. There's nothing Christmassy about it, though. Yeah, nothing at all. <laughs> Can you think of uh, why it's called Why You Will? What, what you, you Will? What You Will, sorry. Well, there is, um, we get a line in, in the fifth act that um, Olivia says towards you when she's kind of at her wit's end. She feels like she's finally found the man that she loves and she's married him. And her response to to someone who's pursuing her is, do what you will with your love, but it's not going to be... I'm not going to help you with that. So um, I think there's a lot of uh, misplaced emotions in this play. Um, there's a lot of emotional extremes, and there's a lot of bad behavior, too. So do what you will is kind of, it feels kind of flippant. I don't know. To me, my character certainly doesn't ever say it or feel it. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I'm... I'm not quite sure what that means, to be quite honest. I, I think uh, I think what Kelsey just said is the closest I can come to understanding why that was, you know, an alternative uh, title. Uh, and and since my character is uh, is on the receiving end of do what you will, <laughs> like whatever you do, I don't care, just as long as it doesn't have anything to do with being with me, which is not a nice thing to experience. Um, I. I, I tend to try to <laughs> ignore that uh, when she says that to me. So uh, this is one of uh, Shakespeare's plays that t- plays around with gender roles and uh, with Viola disguising herself as a young man, which you've done before, Kelsey. This is true. Yep. And uh, <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you do to make yourself dis- disguised as a, a, a man or a boy? Because we're supposed to always know that you are a woman disguised as a boy, which in Shakespeare's time would have been a boy disguised as a woman disguised as a boy, right? Right, right. At least yeah. we have one less layer of complication. Yeah, think about that for a second. Uh, it's a great question, and it's one that I've had to answer now for three years in a row uh, from audience, from, you know, a lot of people say, what do you do when you have to play a man? And it's such an interesting question to me. Um, I am from a generation that's really questioning binary gender roles right now, as we should be, deeply. And so I think about that a lot as an artist when I have to think about what are the things I want to adopt that are typically masculine? What does that mean? And I'm always asking that question in this play and have for the past three years that I've played quote unquote breach roles. Um, And of course there are things that are more obvious. Um, I think 
generally people who identify as male carry themselves a little bit differently physically. And that's something that I can do, that I can imitate. But I want to be specific with it always and not make a generalization because I'm not interested in perpetuating any stereotypes in that way. Um, But when Viola is in disguise, she is in fact disguising herself as her brother. She says, him I imitate. Um, So it's fun for me to watch my fellow actors and see how they move through space and see if I can imitate that. Of course, costumes is going to help me quite a bit too. Um, But in terms of what happens emotionally or spiritually, I believe that there is great um, gender spectrums within all of us. And I just let the parts of me that I think are more masculine um, take the stage. And uh, it's really not that different. It's just a different part of me. And I make sure that when I'm rehearsing, I'm, I'm prepared for that. You know, my arsenal of APT sundresses have not seen the light of day this year because that's not helpful. Um, but there are things that I can do and think about that that are helpful in that way. Thank you. And um, obviously the costumes do make a difference. You just mentioned that. And Twelfth Night is the debut of uh, costume designer Jenny Manis at APT. What can you tell us about her designs for this show? Well, sure, we can. (laughs) I thought she was asking you. It's always funny because we really haven't seen them yet. Uh, Of course, whoever's listening to this will have seen them more than we have uh, at this point. Um, Period specific or? um, I think we're calling it period specific meets rock and roll. Um, There's a little bit of like David Bowie research with the like very traditional silhouette. So again, it's it's classic. There's something uh, traditional about it, but it's not reverent, and it's not necessarily having to adhere to anything uh, that we don't want to adhere to anymore. Have you seen your sketches, Gavin? I've seen, uh, yeah, a couple of sketches, and I've had a a couple of fittings. Right now, the the main obstacle is finding a way to uh, have my prop sword uh, not be dragging on the ground <laughs> because I'm I'm not tall but but it is a long sword so right now we're just trying to figure that's like my major concern like how do I make this sword work with the costume that I'm wearing um and I think they're going to have to have a conversation uh between props and and costume so that I don't like a like a 3-year-old trying to play, you know, three musketeers. And it must be a challenge for a new costumer because the costumes that you wear in and out uh, every day have to withstand a lot of uh, weather and sun and not be miserable for you to wear in the and sunscreen and bug spray and sweat and all of the things you can possibly imagine happening to you outside. And dead mosquitoes. Yeah. Oh yes. gosh. It's a, it's it's for real. <laughs> So um, is a uh, more realistic costume generally less comfortable? I mean, I shouldn't say realistic, I'm sorry. I mean, a more period-appropriate costume, less comfortable in the, the outdoors? I think we're really lucky here. No matter what we have to wear, there are little secrets that we have. And the people in our costume shop are geniuses in, in making sure that each costume feels as comfortable as possible. It makes me think of the dress that I wore in Flea in Her Ear uh, a couple years ago that was very Victorian, but it had uh, little gussets of lycra that, le- I mean, I felt like I was just, you know, wearing clothes to the gym in that thing. It certainly didn't look that way. So I think regardless, we're well taken care of. That's great. So I want to talk about each of your characters a little bit. Um, 
Gavin, why don't you start by telling us about um, your character and um, how how he's portrayed in in this production? Ah, uh, well, Arsino is uh, you know is is a, is a man of power who is used to getting what he wants and uh, is somewhat befuddled when we start the play because he's in love with a woman who doesn't seem to uh, reciprocate his feelings for her. And he's, he's, he's quite lovesick. Uh, and the crazy thing about this character is, uh, you know, Kelsey mentioned earlier about exploring her masculine side. Uh, I find that, and I, I think you, you had uh, mentioned at one point uh, in the questions that we were sent about him being in his feelings so much. And I, I do think that he tends to uh, be a bit self-indulgent in, in his melancholy. Uh, but he has this journey uh, of discovery, which is, you know, sometimes the things that we think we want may be staring us right in the face, but we don't necessarily see it, <laughs> as is the case with, with, with Cesario slash Viola. Uh, she represents, as I come to learn during the course of the play, everything that I've always desired and wanted. But this idea of who this other woman is is more representative of what this duke feels he should have, which is, you know, this woman who's very well, you know, well-to-do, has a lot of money and land. Uh, so it's, a, it's an amazing journey for me as, as Gavin, who tends to be uh, <laughs> a bit naive when it comes to, to love still at this point <laughs> in my life. I, you know, the women in my family keep telling me, when are you going to learn? <laughs> and I still haven't. So maybe by the time we're done with this run, I may glean a little bit of... Uh, <laughs> of knowledge or wisdom as to how to do this romance thing. Oh, you and the audience members. <laughs> and Kelsey, how about, you've already talked a little bit about um, the um, breaches part of your character, mm-hmm. but obviously you have two, two aspects. At least two, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of different layers to Viola. I, I'm really uh, in that, that like beautiful part of the process where I'm falling in love with her, um, I think, and, I, and I've spoken about it recently, and, and I think it holds true. I think this play starts in a horrific tragedy for this character. And what is so beautiful about her is her resilience and the way that she completely gives over to adventure. There's a reckless quality about Viola, which makes me think maybe that's my connection to what you will, is that um, she just says yes over and over again. And... Uh, right now, John, our director, and I are working on how many moments of hope can we find for her in this play? How many moments of, j- how, how can she find joy in the absurdity um, and the anxiety of what she experiences? She gets herself into quite a pickle, as they say in this play. And um, she kind of just says, okay, what next? And I think that's true. I think um, in my experience, when you go through Um, defining moments in life, moments of grief and disparity, at some point in the process, there's a quality of, well, whatever happens next happens. And you kind of, uh, you get this courage that comes from deep within. And I think she has that in spades. And what about music in the play? Can either of you talk about uh, the songs Fesky sings and how that's used? Well, I don't know what the original melodies may have been, but our, our sound designer, Josh Schmidt, has created some of the most beautiful melodies and harmonies that I think I've ever heard on the APT stage. Uh, and LaShawn Banks, who plays Festi, sings them beautifully. 
uh, and I'm very blessed to be able to, at one point, get to harmonize a little bit with, with Kelsey. And it's interesting how the music, for me, actually starts to sew a relationship together that was more confusing before that, 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 that moment of, of music for me. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's pretty helpful. So Kelsey, you'll be singing also. I will. And it's a gorgeous song we get to sing together. It's so great. It makes the rest of the scene just play. I mean, it's just like you can't help but be in love with this guy when you just sing with him that way. It's beautiful. So well done, Josh. Amen. I can't wait. There's going to be so much magic in this play. Thank you both. We're really looking forward to it. Thank you. American Players Theatre Talk Backs to Go is a co-production of Orange Tree Imports and Audio for the Arts. Please find us on iTunes and YouTube under APT Talk Backs to Go. Our theme song is called Play in the Woods and is written and performed by myself, Ben Ferris, Tyler Willenbrink, Noah Gilfillan, Elliot Gilfillan, Grant Blaschka, and Susan Hofer. With Orange Schroeder, I'm Buzz Kemper. Thank you for listening.